This is the sermon podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church in Winston-Salem. Thanks for listening. To learn more about our church, visit salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. We believe preaching is best when experienced as part of the larger drama of God's people gathering. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. Romans is the first letter of Paul in the, it's in the New Testament. It's after the Gospels, after Acts. It's the longest letter of Paul. It's the most complete and thorough description of his theology. And I'm going to start reading in chapter 8, which is um, considered by many to be the greatest chapter of Romans, right at the center of Romans. And we're in uh, a very interesting part of chapter 8, which has to do with the environment. So if you're an environmentalist, if you like nature a lot, uh, this passage is for you. So listen carefully to the the word of God and know that it is inspired. We believe it's inspired by him and that actually it's uh, it's perfect, that it it doesn't make mistakes because it's it's written by God. So um, this is Romans 8, verse 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its own will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. Some translations say to futility, which is perhaps better. The whole creation, all of nature was subjected to futility, but with eager hope the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. All creation. Looking forward to that day. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including new bodies that he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. 
And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them glory. So this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So uh, this is a sermon about nature. Um, and a lot of you love nature. Um, most people love nature. I, I love swimming in the ocean. I don't really like swimming in pools. I don't like swimming in lakes, but I love swimming in the ocean. And, uh, and that's because there are waves in the ocean and the, and the water is constantly moving and there are creatures all around you in the ocean. So um, I was doing that a week ago and whenever I'm swimming in the ocean, I feel uh, unlike any other time, uh, very, very close to mother nature. I feel like uh, I'm very bonded with her uh, in the middle of those waves. When I'm actually in the waves and, I, and you hear the, the sound of seagulls and the wind, that sea breeze, I mean, all of that and the sound of waves crashing, for some reason, unlike any other event in my life, that makes me feel like I'm actually getting into nature herself. And um, if you are a, if you're a, a Christian, um, I know that uh, some of you are here and, and you don't necessarily identify as a Christian. Um, if you are a Christian, this is a big part of your hope for all things. Uh, Romans 8 is all about our hope. And a big part of any Christian's hope is that we're going to one day be reunited with, with Mother uh, Nature. Uh, it's one of the most underrated parts of the Christian hope is this idea of all things being brought together under Christ in unity, the reconciliation of all things. So, so the, uh, the hope of a Christian, the hope of the afterlife is not just about going to heaven. I cannot emphasize that too strongly. It is not just that you will die and you will go to be with God as a soul in heaven. That is also something to look forward to, no doubt about it. But a much bigger and longer hope after that happens is that one day Jesus will come again and he will make the whole creation come back to life. Everything. Uh, God and humans and angels and animals and trees and the sky and uh, the, the ocean, um, all of the weather systems, everything's going to be brought together somehow. I don't know how that's going to happen, but under Christ, that's all going to happen. And the glory that we're going to have as human beings in that situation is unimaginable. Um, the, the raw power and the effortless beauty that we will have is hard for us to even imagine. Um, it's like a caterpillar uh, trying to imagine what it's going to be like to be a butterfly. And they probably think back to when they were like a young caterpillar and think it's going to be like that, but then maybe a little better. But see, the caterpillar has no idea about the butterfly that it's turning into. And that thing that we do not understand is what Paul's talking about here in this passage. Um, that future glory where we are reunited with creation itself, uh, with the environment itself. So I want to talk about that future glory, but I first need to talk about the not so glorious present. Um, that now we live in a situation where we are not inside of nature, where we are alienated from nature, where we're not entirely at home in nature, a situation where tonight if you were invited to sleep in your backyard without any clothes, um, without any tent, just sleep in the ground, you probably would turn that invitation down because there's something about you and nature that's not quite right. Okay, so 
the present alienation, that's the first point. Uh, at present, something has happened between humans and nature, and it didn't need to happen. It says in verse 20 that against its own will, creation was subjected to God's curse. And like I said, futility is a better translation. In other words, um, creation began to experience death and decay at some point. And what happened was that we rebelled against God. Just like uh, these three confessed earlier, we rebelled against God. And we were made to be the kings and queens of nature. We were made to be royalty, to be the caretakers, to be the gardeners in the Garden of Eden. And what happened is that we rejected God. We rejected God's plan. And so when we did that, all hell broke loose. And it was like that explosion in Beirut where just shockwaves went everywhere and our sin uh, leaked into all of nature like a toxic waste dump. Just everything got infected by our sin. And so the ground became cursed, the plants became cursed, uh, childbearing became cursed, the animals were cursed, the skies were cursed, the sea was cursed, everything was cursed. I mean, even COVID-19, that's part of it. That's part of the curse that's happened in nature. And now all of creation, Paul uses this metaphor of a woman in labor. And I have not been a woman in labor, but I've heard that it's extremely, excruciatingly painful and, uh, and screams might be involved at times. So if you can imagine nature and labor pains, that's what Paul is saying in verse 22. All creation has been groaning in, in the pains of childbirth, even to now. From the moment of our rebellion to now, there's like this, nature is not happy. And it's not happy at all because of what we've done to it. And you look around today and you see it everywhere. Um, you know, you see um, there's a trash heap in the Pacific Ocean that is twice the size of Texas. And that's a big state. So that's a lot of trash. Most of it's plastic. All of it's created by human beings. So you might think that environmentalists are all liberal or something like that, but this is biblical, what I'm talking about. This is biblical. Um, we have wiped out, uh, half the lions in the world are gone since 1970. That's a human thing. Um, we have really messed up the creation quite a bit. Apparently, 30% uh, of the elephants in the world have died only in the last 10 years. Uh, that's because of a lot of, because, just because of their tusks and the rhinos, um, that's, that's humans devastating God's creation. 40% of giraffes in five years, 40% of giraffes have been destroyed. And then in the last five years, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Great Barrier Reef. It's off of Australia. It's gorgeous. All this coral, this colorful coral, it's half of it's gone in five years, in five years. So this is humans. And uh, some call this uh, biological annihilation. If you type that into Google, you'll see all this stuff. And a lot of people that believe those things are extreme. There are extreme versions of that. But biblically, it's a, it's a nightmare. It's a tragedy. It's part of the fall. And this is not a new thing. In the days of Noah, the reason God brought the flood was partly because humans had so messed up nature. nature if you've ever seen the movie Noah, not a great movie in some ways, but uh, not that faithful to the Bible in some ways. But it, it, it depicts the destruction of nature uh, that humans had brought about on the earth very, very well. Everything was like burning. It's like Mad Max, if you've seen Mad Max movies, or some kind of post-nuclear uh, waste movie. Uh, humans have just absolutely annihilated 
the planet. Uh, that's why God had to flood the earth. It got so bad. It got to the point of no return. And uh, Genesis 1.31 says, God saw all that he had made, and he said, this is very good. This is beautiful. And he put humans in that world to garden that world, to tend that world, to protect that world, to serve that world. But instead, we have uh, become polluters and consumers. And you may have heard of this formula. Uh, the formula is environmental degradation, E, equals population, P, times affluence, A, times technology, T. So in E equals PAT. So in other words, the amount of people there are, the amount of affluence there is, the amount of technology is developed, more and more environmental degradation. And it's, again, part of discipleship is worth asking yourself as a, as a believer, if you're a believer, how am I a part of that or, and how am I trying to be a solution to that? Now, our, our hope is not in humans trying to solve that problem because we're not going to solve that problem. And yet we're still called uh, in Christ uh, to care for uh, God's creation. And that's not a political thing. What I'm saying is not political at all. It's very biblical um, because it, it, it hooks into what Paul is talking about in Romans 8, this future hope we have of actually getting inside of nature. And my favorite quote about this, really the whole sermon was inspired by this quote, really. Um, it's from C.S. Lewis, of course. And uh, this is what he says. At the present moment, we are outside of nature. At the present moment, we are on the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and the purity of the morning, but they do not make us feel fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the pleasures of nature that we see. We do not merely want to see nature's beauty. We want to be inside of her, united with her beauty, to pass into her, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become part of it. And, and that's the future hope that that will happen one day. There was a four-month stretch of my life where I lived in one of the most beautiful places in the earth. It was Glencoe, Scotland. It's like this gorgeous valley of Scotland, very famous valley. And uh, waking up every day, I would look out on those mountains, those beautiful mountains, and uh, it created a longing in me that I'd never felt before, just seeing that every day. It, it created a longing in me for something uh, that I, I needed to get back into, get back to the garden, so to speak. And um, you might not have had a Glencoe in your life, but probably there's something in your life where you hook into nature like that. I know a lot of people love to hike. I do not like to hike a lot. Well, I don't like to camp. I don't mind a day hike, but some of you love to camp, which is astonishing, but you love to be connected to nature through camping outside in some remote region of the world. Um, the, the more remote, the better, I understand. Uh, some people love to hunt and fish and uh, go out on boats and others you know, some people just, it's their pet. For some people, their, their connection point with nature is just their pet. And they love their pet so much. Because that pet is their entree into nature. Into their, into part of the, the, the real hope. And it's kind of sad how, how little it takes for us. How, how little our experiences of this connection with nature are. You know, people spend uh, millions and millions of dollars to live near the ocean. I mean, if you can get that front row of houses, you bump up your, you know, your property value by who knows how many times, probably 10 times, who knows. It's a massive acceleration in value just to get near the ocean. You're not even in the ocean. You're just looking at it. And people pay millions of dollars for that or to be in the mountains. And what I'm saying is it's tragic how we are so 
far from it that even the tiniest foretaste is, is just absolutely compelling to us. There's a, um, there's a song called Big Blue, and uh, it's by a band I like called Vampire Weekend. And we saw them in concert, and they had a big, a humongous ball, like a big blow-up ball that the crowd was bouncing around. It was, the, it was the earth. So I knew the song was about the earth when I saw that, and I, I reread the lyrics to the song Big Blue, and this is, about, this is about the longing of the lead singer of Vampire Weekend to, to feel the, the childlike warmth of that earlier relationship in his life with nature. So this is what he says. Uh, Big Blue, he's talking to the earth, Big Blue, for once in my life, I felt close to you. I was overcome with emotion. When I was hurt and in need of attention, when I was tired, and couldn't go home, you offered protection. So it begins with this hope of a once very close relationship with nature, and then he ends with this, but, but am I learning my lesson, or, or am I back on my own? And I think basically the song says we're back on our own. Uh, we have not learned our lesson, and we're going to destroy the earth. But the Bible says, Paul says, no, uh, we can get back in. We can get back in. There's a future glory, and that's what I want to finish with. Um, the future glory that is so massive that uh, even creation cannot wait for our future glory. It's like a child on Christmas Eve just can't even sleep for excitement about what's going to come. Uh, creation, in verse 21, looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. Uh, one translation says creation waits on tiptoe. For our glory. So imagine no death, no decay. Imagine a body that doesn't die. Imagine a world where things, natural things don't die. Dogs don't die. Cats don't die. Plants don't die. Uh, it's hard to imagine things not degenerating, bodies not falling apart. But verse 23 says we're going to get into bodies uh, that are released from sin and suffering. I mean, that's our hope. A, a body, see, we don't just want to become souls. Uh, immaterial souls. We want to become bodies. I want this body back, but a better body, a perfect body. And that is, that is what the Bible promises. Bodies released from sin and suffering. Sometimes I think back to when I was 20 years old, and I was actually good at basketball, and uh, I think about the feeling, of, that it, the power that it felt to be 20, uh, the, ease, the ease you had in your body at 20 the lightness and the athleticism and the speed. Now, some of you are 20, so uh, don't take that for granted. Um, but some of you might long for a 50-year-old body. But, you know, back when I had sharp eyes and, I, and my body did what my mind told it to do, I can't do that anymore in sports. When my ankles were strong and my calf muscle was not torn, I long for that. But Paul says you're not just going to get back that. You're going to get something way better than that. You're going to get a body that doesn't even have any temptation to sin anymore. Released from sin, verse 23. So there's no anxiety in this body. This mind has no anxiety. There's no fear. You have no fear in this body. Um, those chemicals that are released that create fear or the fear uh, that is those chemicals, that's not going to happen anymore. There's going to be no gossip. These bodies are not going to have any desire to gossip. But there's going to be no envy. There'll be no more envy. You'll never envy someone else's body or what they have. There'll be no violence. These bodies will not have any temptation to hurt anyone. There will be no, no uh, destructive, self-destructive uh, 
coveting and craving and greed. There'll be no gluttony. Uh, instead, the body will crave for prayer and worship and stillness in a way that we can't even imagine right now. So creation cannot wait for that to happen. It is longing for you to be like that. Because when you become like that, we're going to stop terrorizing nature. We're going to actually treat nature well again. Uh, in verse 19, it says, God will reveal uh, who his children really are. And like I said earlier, we're going to be restored to be like royalty, to be kings and queens of the planet that take care of it and that serve it rather than hurting it. In the, uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia, I love C.S. Lewis, obviously. In the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, there are depictions of humans intermingling with creation in a very imaginative way. Uh, so you have uh, the children riding on lions, which I, that, just that scene in the movie, The Lion, Which Order, really, it just gets me. The ch Lucy uh, and Susan riding on that lion on Aslan's back. You've got the children dancing with bears. They are talking to beavers. They are playing chase with squirrels. They're eating meals with horses. They are communing with trees. And, uh, and children love those things. I mean, I love those things when I was a child. And the reason we love those things is because we know that we want those things. And we will get those things. According to the Bible, we will get those things because we're going to actually become, this almost sounds blasphemous, but we're going to become uh, like Jesus in his relationship to nature. And the only reason I say that is because Paul says that in verse 29. God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son. So his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Now think about that. Um, we're going to become like his son. In our relationship to nature, we're going to become... Uh, he will be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So that means that the way he related to nature with um, turning water into wine, right? He had power over that. He created bread out of thin air. He walked on water. He stilled a storm. He rode a wild donkey into Jerusalem. It was just completely docile to him. He made fish swim into Peter's net. I'm not saying we're going to do all those things, but what I'm going to say here that is true is we're going to be uh, in a glorified body that has the kind of interaction with nature that he had. That can have that kind of interaction with nature where there, you could almost like call upon a couple of dolphins to come and pick you up and take you somewhere. So it's going to be your personality, your name, uh, your body, your face, but it's going to share all of his glory. And if that seems too good to be true, uh, look at verse 30, because verse 30 says that the hardest parts of this project have already been carried out. And so I'm telling you for a certainty, this is not a probability, this is a certainty that this will happen. Because God has already chosen you, in verse 30. And he not only chose you, he called you. He not only called you, he justified you. And so if he chose, called, and justified you, and those are much harder things than the glorification part, if he did all that, how is he going to not do this? He's done the three hardest things. He's definitely going to glorify you. So you can have absolute confidence. You can take it to the bank that this is your destiny and that he works tirelessly for this and that even if you forget your great destiny, he never will. And he will never stop working to that end because it says that he works everything together for the good of those who love God. Verse 28, a very precious verse. He works everything together for that end of making us glorious. And you say, how could melting glaciers and rising seas and biological annihilation and COVID-19, how could those things possibly work together 
uh, for anything good like our future glory. And Paul says, verse 18, what we suffer now is nothing. Whatever you suffered is nothing compared to on the scales of the glory to be revealed. Our suffering is light as a feather. All of our suffering, all the, the suffering of the whole universe versus the glory to be revealed is like that. Not worth comparing. And the reason that we know that can be the case is because of this table. Because we know on this table that God took the very worst thing that has ever happened, the crucifixion of his son, the very worst event that ever happened, the most horrible, uh, the most gory, most bloody, most horrific act of degradation in the world. This is the God incarnate comes and we crucify him. God took that event and he turned it into glory to give us his, his own life, to give us his body and blood. If God can take that event of the crucifixion and make that into glory, he can take anything that happens to us, including the coronavirus, and turn that into glory. And so, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, which is right there in the middle in the Ziploc bags.